You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra. Welcome to the Weekly Review, a radio show where two aging men find solace in the multicultural world of pop culture with the guidance of a bright young person who deciphers the cryptic expressions of the internet. This week, coinciding with the arrival of spring, a lot of things are happening. New names! New names added to the Primavera Sound lineup. Spring always brings fresh new blossoms. This week we focus on not one but two albums that nibble on alternative rock from the 90s but sound completely future. And we also think about how to make an impact on the young internet without looking like a fool! <laughs> <laughs> this is the weekly review. Yes, news. Yes. That's a banger. What an absolute tune. What I'm I'm really excited about the new music from Alison Goldfrapp, who's gone solo. Yeah, 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 yeah. And as you pointed out, to go solo, she can't use the name Goldfrapp. She has to use her full name, Alison Goldfrapp. That's the problem with with you know signing contracts, isn't it? And publishing <laughs> deals. Exactly, exactly. Uh-huh. But it sounds like the, the best of Goldfrapp when when they go dance. Uh, some of my favorite Gold Goldfrapp songs are the ones that were more club oriented, and this one is like full on banger. The three songs that are available from Alison Goldfrapp so far. I mean, like this one, which features uh, production work from club hit maker Claptone, uh, are all in this kind of vein. I mean, it's, it reminds me a lot of what Jesse Ware has been doing lately. I've been monitoring the internet as I like to, to see what people are saying, um, because you know there's a there's a bad side to this news as well, um, which uh, which is FK Twigs is cancelled. And I was like looking out to see what people were kind of saying, um, and somebody said, "Look, I think Goldfrapp, Alison Goldfrapp, is going to be the Jesse Ware of this year." And somebody else said, look, it sucks that FK Twigs is cancelled, but I might actually enjoy Alison Goldfrapp more. And it does suck that, that um, Twigs FK is canceled, Twigs has cancelled, yeah. I kind of get that, though. I, it will. It will. I mean, if, if this goes right, I mean, I didn't see the Jesse Ware gig last year, and I've regretted it ever since. Everyone said it was like the biggest party, basically. And yeah. this could absolutely go off. And that kind of song, that song, Digging Deeper, I'd be well up for it. Yeah, I, I, it's it's a perfect playlist. Like Alison Goldfrapp, uh, Goldfrab, um, Rosine Murphy, um, Jesse Ware, all these kind of, even I'm going to allow Sophie Ellis-Bexter, who I've always had a soft spot for, uh, all those sort of <laughs> British disco divas uh, who, who are now in an age, Kylie Minogue as well, of course, uh, who are now in, a, in an age of maturity, but they still have this wonderful way of delivering like full-on hedonism. They're not faffing about. There's not me- much room for balladry. It's like, no, no, no. If I'm going to sing a love song, there's going to be an incredible euphoric kind of drum beat and synths and and reminiscence of like old disco and 90s disco and, and house and stuff. I'm on board for it. And uh, even though we've lost Twigs, we have one, another very interesting artist who... Is similar in 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 sonic palettes. Like you could put them in the same playlist. At least I can say that is a Iranian Iranian Dutch artist Sevdaliza, who I hadn't heard much about, but who apparently played Primavera in 2018. Yeah, well, David uh, was saying because I, I hadn't heard of her either. I must confess. And David was saying he saw her at Primavera 2018, and she was absolutely brilliant. It was also one of those things where I felt a bit kind of dumb because I was like, oh, I've never heard of this person. You're gonna go and look up. Her biggest songs on Spotify, and it's got like six million listens. You're like, okay, where have I been? And I think what you said about like you know being in the same playlist uh, as FK Twigs makes sense because like it, it's a comparison that frankly, <laughs> six million, twenty eight million, excuse me, uh-huh. uh, it's a comparison that does that. You know, she doesn't sound totally like twenty FK Twigs. They don't sound like each other, and you know, she kind of 
uh, said she didn't see any any of that because it's a comparison that's been made before. But you could put them in the same playlist. I think that that's that, kind of yeah. In a playlist titled uh, um, "Dark Emotions," in 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 a <laughs> I'm not good at dark that. pop. Emo- I don't <laughs> dark emotions. Just call it that. Dark emotions. Cool. Yeah, because I love I love play Spotify. I gotta hand it to the people working at the the Spotify platform. A lot of those playlist titles they do get me. I instantly understand. Like, I just look at the image and I see what they're saying. Like, I don't know, morning after house mm, session or something. Uh, and it's like, uh, okay. And, and I'll see that there's, I don't know, Rampa in there. And I think, okay, I see what the vibe's going to be. I'll get it. So, Sevdaliza uh, is, uh, is also been added to the, to the playlist. I mean, if I had to tell someone who was a bit uh, vague about music, it's like, how, what, what does... Uh, what does Delisa sound like? It's like, look, if Sade was fronting Portishead, that a great comparison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and 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 I, and I realize that that's been said about her quite a bit. But it, <laughs> like, she's kind of bringing back the sound of that kind of beautiful trip hop uh, with 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 orchestral arrangements and stuff, and a lot of intimacy. Well, one thing I found very interesting about her was um, that apparently uh, she uh, went to do a show and and. Um, there was a conservatory professor came up to her oh, yeah. and said that she he could hear that I really draw inspiration from old Persian singers. Um, and it's funny because she'd never listened to yeah, Persian yeah, music yeah. at all. <laughs> um, but apparently, she uses semitones and microtones when she sings, which is which is which is really kind of really kind of interesting. It's in her genes. And uh, there's more good news about Primavera sounds. Uh, sounds and I say plural because it's Barcelona and Madrid uh, <laughs> where Eve Tumor who is uh, um, who's already booked for the main festivals has also been added to the inner city or Primavera a la Ciutat the city gigs so uh, they will be performing at Razmataz in Barcelona if I'm not mistaken and uh, I'm not sure what venue in Madrid but they will be playing there along with Japanese Breakfast who, besides playing the main festival, is also going to be playing the city. And let's be honest, did you forget that Japanese Breakfast and Eve Tumor were playing? Because I did. I And I love Japanese Breakfast and Eve Tumor. I just, but like, there's just so many things. You're like, I was like, hang on, have they already been announced? Like, oh, right, okay, yeah, they're going to be playing those extra gigs. So two opportunities to see them. Damn yeah. it, I love it when, when that happens. Yeah, yeah. I think Eve Tumor, three, no, not three, damn it. No, three, because, yeah, Barcelona, Madrid and the cities, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, sadly, the band Palm, who were, also, who were only due to play city gigs, not the actual main festival's height, uh, have also had to pull out. Uh, sorry for Palm fans. Uh, you, your microphone's going a, a bit dodgy there. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I tried to change seats. I'm going back to the. To yeah, the, ne- the never, middle. never try to change seats. So it's always, a, always a bad thing. Uh, yeah, Palm had to had to pull out, and um, uh, someone else had to pull out as well. I believe. Uh, no, Palm uh, FKs. Oh, oh, uh, the the other half of Tale of Us. Um, what's his name? Oh, damn it! I had it. I had it here in my notes. Um. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, Enima. Enima. And yeah, A N, because it's in capital letters, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, uh, it's, uh, uh, how did you pronounce it? I said Enima, but Anima, I don't know. Anima, yeah. A N Y M A. It's cause, because it's in capital letters, it's like, is that an acronym for something? Uh, Anima, who is uh, one half of Tale of Us, uh, does some very gorgeous uh, atmospheric techno, has also had to pull out. It's you know it's inevitable it's inevitable uh, the 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 festival's coming closer but you know people get um, 
things happen in life, you know. You try and, you try and commit to a date, and uh, all of a sudden you spill everything all over. I, I mean, frankly, given the problem, the the kind of difficulties I have in trying to even get to like the cinema or something like that, I don't know how anyone manages to <laughs> organise a gig or, or or anything like that. That's the thing about being an artist on a, in a and, and being a festival act. No, you've got to commit to those dates. But some, you know, people get sick, or family members get sick, or uh, touring plans uh, take a dive. I don't know. But there's so much. And now, oh, and a live, live sneeze. But I can tell you, I've, I, I took, um, uh, I, as I said, I wasn't particularly aware of Sevdalisa. Uh, and I took a sort of intense uh, course in Sevdalising, uh, well, in that I listened to about 20 of Sevdalisa's songs. Uh, and can I play you my favourite one? Yes. All right, this is Darkest House. Darkest hour. Yeah, <laughs> I told you I was learning. I told you I was learning, and I have been studying. But I'm, I'm, I'm just being honest. Like the things I know, the things I didn't know. I did not know Sevdalisa, but I'm very up to seeing Sevdalisa. Darkest yeah. hour. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. Nice, yeah. isn't it? Eh? Very nice. Very nice. Uh, we mentioned Eve two more, and we will be speaking more about them because they have uh, one of our albums of the week. Uh, I'm totally in love with. Talk about that later. But let's start off with this wonderful book. That was left on our desks, Ben. <laughs> Who was it by? Who left it? I don't. No one. No one's spoken up. But they just. Saw, that's even worse. <laughs> it's not like someone came up to us and said, "Hey, uh, I thought you guys would find this funny." It's like, no, no, no. I came in one <laughs> morning. Like you need this. <laughs> and I find this book. It's written in Catalan and it's titled "Petemo." Pet, petemu. 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 Patemu. Ah, Patemo. Yeah. yeah, it's because sometimes the the e in Catalan is pronounced like an a uh, sound, uh, like almost like an a. Patemu. Patemo, which uh, literally translates as uh, "let's um, let's uh, burst this" or "let's um, let's 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 blast this." No, like it's gonna blow. Yeah, blow it up. Blow it up. Yeah, you know, yeah. uh, manual a Catalan manual for boomers and millennials. So, it, <laughs> uh, right. Firstly, firstly, you and I, right, are neither boomers nor millennials. That's we're Generation X. Exactly. So you can yeah. So there we go. Generation X. We have Mud Honey Records and, and, and you know, angst and that and, kind of thing. And we saw Pearl Jam and Nirvana when we were teenagers. I, I didn't see either. No, I didn't see them live, no, right, but we, okay. we witnessed their ascent. Exactly, and we got pretty <laughs> depressed about it. Yeah. So, yeah, that, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if I'm, if I'm splitting hairs there, but yeah, um, we're, we're neither boomers nor millennials. But we do need this book. Oh, do, well, this is the thing. This is the thing. Do we need this book, right? Because... I was looking through it, looking through the glossary at the end to find yeah. out, you know, how people talk. And most of it was in English. Well, that's the thing. It's because now internet language is like, okay, let's just get the best words like if in English that and use them in, in Spanish or in Catalan. Like, for instance, crush, no? Uh, when you have someone's, when you, when you have a crush on someone, we've all known that for hundreds of years. It's when you have an infatuation with someone. Well, now... It's just totally normal to say, oh, it's my, it's my, it's my crush. Look, I'm going to read it in Catalan because I like the examples. Estic desesperada. Oh, who ain't intentat tot, pero el meu crush no en fa cas. Oh, I've, I've tried everything, but my crush doesn't uh, pay attention to me. So it, it, it does seem a little bit antique. Like, I think even my mum would find some of these words. Cundir. What's Kundir? Ah, now that was one that I didn't know, but I asked Albert about it. Uh, basically, what I did is I tried, uh, there was a passing young person, and yeah. I was like, hey, Albert. Uh, and then I used one of the the, uh, the, the example examples. sentences with Kundir, and he looked at me like I just sort of, I like, he's like, what's happening? I couldn't tell if he was quite disapproving. It means to like, basically. In what language? In Catalan? In Catalan, yeah. Kundir? Yeah. But why is it a slang term then? 
Well, Kundi. it's not like an official kind of thing. I, I, I'm not quite Let's sure. See, let me read it out loud. Et kundesh, sortir de festa avui a la nit amb tota la colla. Yeah, would you like, you know, would you like to go out for et a... Et kundesh, a... ah, okay, I have to ask it like, et kundesh, sortir de festa avui a la nit amb tota la, a see, tota la colla. that was the exact sentence I mentioned to Albert, who's what, 20, I don't know, 23? Yeah, uh, something like that. And he, re- I think maybe, maybe he was wondering if I actually was asking what, to go out, and he yeah, was like trying to think. God, do I have some kind of excuse to avoid like a, uh, a like, night out with French house with old people? But um, no, I was, I was literally just, just kind of trying it out. I like how they've oh, so they've Catalanized stalking, estalquear, because mm. it's from in, in Spanish, estalquear is not a real word. It's like basically they take stalk and they Spanish spanglify it, <laughs> Spanglish. Spanish, Spanish fight, <laughs> or Catalan Hispanify it. Hispanify it. Estalquear o en Catalan estalquear. Abans de tenir una cita amb algú de primer cop, las de estalquear per veure de quin pal va. Uh, before you go out with someone on a first date, you have to stalk them before uh, to to figure out what their vibe is. <laughs> <laughs> which is something that that's something we didn't get to do as young'uns when we didn't <laughs> stalking have, i think that's probably a good thing isn't it yeah but you know now people can just sort of look at that's the first thing you kind of do when you meet someone new is like oh let me see what what their life is like on instagram uh what they what they do what their interests are and and with, with in the dating game i imagine there's so much information you can uh recollect before uh, saying yes to go on a date where before it was like you were always treading ground and well that was the exciting part of dating wasn't it well yeah yeah i would be if i had to date again i'd be very worried because like my my social media are basically just me promoting things and occasional stupid stupid things like there's no kind of pictures of like you know n- none of the kind of pictures that you'd want people to see it just be like well because they'd just be like oh god he's a podcast bro wouldn't they yeah but you've got topics of conversation you've got you've got content do i yeah, like presumably you imagine someone would date either of us based on tastes <laughs> because maybe our youthful looks uh, are out the window. So, uh, <laughs> so it's like, oh, you know, in fact, I was reading about, uh, I don't know if like the dating apps were trying to make a thing or I think they were trying to do something with Primavera Sound uh, uh, like a dating app where they were trying to get people to use the application based on uh, musical interests. Ah, that's it. People have done that before. Like, yeah, dating apps based on musical interests. Because that's even MySpace. When back in MySpace, you would build a community of following followers or, you know, not like followers on Instagram, but like you would you would follow people and, and try and become friends with people who were mainly into the same scene or music. And that's what you would wanted 40 rolled in spiral carpets fan in Barcelona. There's got to be, there's got to be, especially, yeah, if you go for the niche stuff, I mean, you know, sometimes I guess people who date in our ages, they have to broaden, you know, that it's like, you're into football, fair enough, you know, you, you can't be as picky and culty as like, oh, you're into in spiral carpets B-sides. Mm. That's what I'm after. Well, I'm not after, obviously, but that's what you, you know, you know that, that's where... But, okay, so the, the, this kind of thing presents me with kind of a problem, right? Because obviously my children speak English. Yeah. Um, uh, it's just your daughter. Yeah, I, I, she and, will. She will, she will. And so, like, <laughs> ever so occasionally, my children, who also speak Catalan, will be like, W2F, and I'm like, are you sure you should be saying that, you know? Double 2F? WTF. 
Oh, like, oh, but do they know what what WTF? Means? I'm not sure if they Whoa. do. I think I think they do, but they don't quite associate it. And ever so occasionally, their their friends who don't speak English will be like, "Hey, what the fuck?" And you're like, "Um, um." I know it's really funny when I hear Spanish children say, "What the fuck?" Like, because it's it's like a, it's a children's thing, not yeah, even yeah, a t- yeah, yeah. It's an everybody's thing, but children really love. I, I, that's one of my favorite uh, Hispanifications. So we say the, the what the fuck, because <laughs> it kind of takes off the, the the severity of you know the, the of of the of the of the of the uh, swear word. Shall we say? I don't know. It just becomes playful because it's the it's that kind of eh, what's happening here. You know what the fuck. I don't think you can truly swear in a language that is any but any but your other mother tongue. I just don't think you can do it. Like however much you try in another language, I don't think it's ever going to have quite that that. Don't you ever say cuyons, which is fun, uh, Catalan for balls? Cuyons. It's not really swearing though, is it? It's like no, but you you wouldn't be able to say it in a church. Like if you, if a priest came up and you said, <laughs> "When were you last?" <laughs> I know, but you know, I'm just always sort of thinking, you know, or in school, if if you're in a teacher parent meeting, yeah, 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 and yeah. it's like kikuyons, you know, it's like woof, no, you'd have to say sorry, no, no, but I like that's the thing. I what I mean is it doesn't sound rude. It doesn't sound rude in the same way as like something that I've grown up with. You know, yeah. sounds like properly rude. Like however rude it is, I'm just that's not really rude. It's just a kind of a Spanish or Catalan expression. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, it, 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 and also like even if I really wanted to express like the most rude thing I could in like Spanish or Catalan, it wouldn't it wouldn't quite work. I don't think. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like the the person listening would probably find it humorous. So, I mean, are we meant to use this? Are we meant to use this book, you think? <laughs> it was there. It was left there for a reason, I guess. Oh, there's, well, yeah, there, there, there's the one that we we always talk about here, uh, cringe. I love how cringe has become, wait, well, yeah, cringe has become one of the main things that people talk about on internet, you know, like we were dedicated a whole episode uh, with, with Mar, who's uh, got a personal uh, situation she's dealing with today. That's why she's not here with us today. Uh, but uh, we were talking about the cringe masters last week, like the weekend with his um, new HBO show, and <clears throat> um, and that young fellow who was pretending to smoke like he smoked all his life, and how cringe <laughs> it was, and how it becomes this thing. There's been a bit of cringe this week. Uh, it could almost become a weekly section, couldn't it? Well, I like this idea. This was your idea, wasn't it? Cringe of the week. The cringe of the week. I mean, there was this... Improvised uh, jingle. Uh, cringe! <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> something that sounds like... Because cringe is, is almost like an onomatopoeia. Because you, you, you kind of... Mm. That face you put is like... You squeeze, you know, you, you tighten your eyes and your face is like... Ooh, cringe! Cringe! So we need to get a, a sort of high-pitchy sound. Cringe! Um, cringe of the week. Uh, someone called out Meg White from formerly of former drummer of the White Stripes for being a terrible drummer, and uh, oh boy, did they get it! They got it. They 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 had to they had to walk it back. And uh, lots of people spoke out in Meg's defense, <laughs> including Jack White. Tom Morello posted a beautiful uh, thing on his socials. Everyone, everyone stu- uh, came out, and it's true. I mean, uh, what is all you know? especially in the drummer's world or, you know, music nerd, there's always this kind of, oh, you know, Ginger Baker, you know, he was like a jazz drummer and or John Bonham. Yeah, John Bonham. John Bonham? Yeah. And John Paul Jones was bassist, sorry. John Bonham from Led Zeppelin. You know, all these like fancy kind of fills and and all this kind of stuff. It's like, no, mate, sometimes an iconic kind of two beat uh, in a, all throughout a song 
can be as memorable as one of those drum fills. Uh, Ringo Starr, for instance. Love him, love him. I tell you what, this basically this was an Australian journalist, and he can have not have known what hit him. An Australian journalist called La- uh, Lachlan Marquet, um, who who did it. <laughs> the poor thing has now protected his tweets, deleted his Instagram account. The amount of, <laughs> I mean, it's like I, I'm not quite sure why this blew up so much. If you see what I mean, I think he's quite well known in Australia. But like, I, I see he's got loads and loads of people following. But that's probably now. Like, I'm not quite sure why. Yeah, why it got to that that kind of level. I mean. I love the, the. I think it got beautiful because everyone everyone poured so much positive energy talking about Meg White that all of a sudden that became the news story. Like all the people, uh, all the famous legendary musicians who came out in her def- in her defense and said, "Hey, mate, <laughs> uh, check your check check yourself, boy." And uh, Jack White wrote a poem. Jack White wrote a poem, uh, a very beautiful poem, and it's like, oh, what? It's like, why did they stop? I mean, was it was it her decision? Was she tired of touring? I don't know. We, we never knew because you know, obviously, he's continued to tour and 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 make music on his own and with the raconteurs and with. Uh, Good, but I'm not quite sure why they stopped. Actually, I, th- yeah. I think she got sick of it. If I'm if I'm not mm. wrong, but yeah, she she was a she was a great great drummer, and uh, uh, I wouldn't you know <laughs> I certainly wouldn't say anything else. Yeah. Um, at the moment, so was that person you're like kind of cringe of the week that was my cringe of the week or was there an, oh well we, i guess hugh grant at the oscars was a talking point last week obviously i loved it because that was him being hugh grant <laughs> i didn't i didn't expect him to be anything else but i love ashley graham who was doing the interviews on the red carpet she's a you know she, she, uh, she, she, i always like her presence and the way she you know she manages to not be because sometimes red red carpet presenting You've got to be very fickle and just keep it going. People just want to see as many celebrities as possible, up close and personal. And you ask two or three questions, and there was always a heated debate about the "what are you wearing?" questions. You know, they'd always ask the actresses, "What are you wearing? What are you wearing?" But mainly because they'd always have some designer to promote who'd given them the lent them their Christian Dior's or their Chanel's or their Balenciagas or whatever, and and men were just always in boring tux, so it wasn't as interesting an answer. But anyway, so you know they ask she asked Hugh Grant, so what are you wearing? You know, just trying to just trying to create some banter. He's like uh, a suit. <laughs> yeah, but who made it? My tailor. You know, he was just he was just very dry, <laughs> and I don't think he was being rude. He was just being very British. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but Americans always it's funny how you know when when too much Britishness is is slammed in their face when they're trying to do something very American which is just be very candid and kind and hey how are you doing you've been to America have I you, have you've noticed how whenever you meet someone they make you feel like the most important person in the room it's like hey yes. it's yeah, great yeah, to yeah, meet yeah, you yeah they're good at that I like that a lot. And remember that one interview with Robert Smith on some American, I think it was a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a few years ago. Oh, uh, the pre- same situation. The red carpet uh, host, she's like, so guys, uh, we're here with The Cure. You know, how are you doing? And, and Robert Smith's like, well, not as good as you are. <laughs> <laughs> you know, being all shy and awkward. And that was another one of those sort of, a moment that could have been a cringe of the week, but obviously it's like Robert Smith. You are you're such a god. By the way, everyone's in love with Robert Smith uh, because he's actually forced Ticketmaster to give back a lot of the money that they've been charging uh, on ticket sale. Um, what do you call them? Expenses. 
Yeah, like these you know, the added extras, the yes. kind of like administrative expenses, that kind of thing. Because the cure go out of their way to make sure they can offer the the tickets at the most affordable price. And I think they were selling twenty dollars to see the cure in a stadium or in a big That's large amazing. arena. That's amazing for a band that could charge as much as Bruce Springsteen or whatever or Taylor Swift is charging. Well, maybe not that much. But uh and, and they've always you know, he's always made they have always made the everything possible to charge the fairest price. And all of a sudden Ticketmaster's like, hang on, well no, 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 let's add all these like costs, these phantom costs. And then uh, Robert Smith took them to task and they 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 responded. They said, "You know what? You you're actually right. There's some of these that we can, um, you know. It's like <laughs> all of a sudden, yeah, we can we can give back ten dollars on each ticket on on certain certain thing. Yeah, we didn't realize. It's like, come on, ticket master, get with it. Anyway, I've got to say, in the Hugh Grant interview, I thought, who, who's the interviewer? Sorry, Ashley um, Graham. Ashley Graham did really really well because it's like it's one of those things that she's probably interviewed like twenty people that day, and like for example, I. I I got the feeling that basically, you know, if you're interviewing 20 people, you can't know all of them that well. And like she asked him about... Um, the movie Glass Onion. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> He's and, only in it for like a second. <laughs> but she obviously had her notes that maybe she had done, maybe someone had passed to her. Um, and I just love the way, like, like she'd have like, he's in Glass Onion. Then she was like, okay, how was it in Glass Onion? He was like, well, I was barely in it. She was like, yeah, but you were in it. You were it was like, in she it. You really didn't show up. She was, <laughs> exactly, that was brilliant. You did show up. Because obviously I'm on the side of the interviewer here. Um, and I wanted to ask you for your worst, most cringiest interviewing moments. Oh, damn. Uh, look, I think... Dave Navarro from Jane's Addiction will always be one of my most memorable. He was so on edge, and it wasn't so much with me; it was with my 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 uh, director, Nina. She was she was directing the cameraman to like cl- open shot, close shot, you know, like like whispering in the camera's ear, who were like at least, you know, as far as this the camera about two meters away, mm. you know. Uh, we couldn't hear them, and we're, and and I was asking him a question. And he's like, uh, "Wait a minute, sorry, I'm not. I, I just can't do this. I can't do this if you're going to be like distracting me." And she's like, "What? Oh, sorry, I'm I'm just uh, instructing the cameraman to open shot." He's like, "Yeah, yeah, don't do that, don't do that." And he just kept like, uh, he just kept interrupting the interview. Oh yeah, and there was another time when I had to uh, just make a quick link interviewing Gem and Andy Bell from Oasis. Andy Bell also off Ride. And I kept getting Andy's name wrong. I kept saying Alan Bell. He's like, hey, we're here with Gem and, and Alan. And he's like, no, it's Andy. And I, oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, and I kept, and I, and I made the same mistake four times in a row. And he's like, stop, look. And he was really angry and, and flustered. And it's like, oh man, dude, if only you knew how much I've listened to Ride. Yeah, yeah. Well, you see, I, I had, I had this, the, the same problem. Because if it like, okay, if I got it wrong with, actually, no, I do really like Jane's Addiction. But if I got it really wrong with like some band I didn't particularly like, I'd be like, oh, okay, well, you know, so, all right, fair enough. I don't particularly like you. But I, I made this mistake with a band I love entirely, which is Dry Cleaning. Yeah. Which I think I told you about. And basically, I was, I, you know, I, I was getting ready for an interview with them. And I was like, I really like this album. It's really good. Yada, yada, yada. You know, we're going to start that. And um, basically, I was like, okay, and we're here with Wet Leg. <laughs> no, yes, you told me that. Oh, and that was so cringe. And like, they were good enough to laugh about it. And there was a moment where, 
like if I'd have been really cool, I'd have styled it out and be like, haha, just my little joke. But I'd actually like totally gone red, and I was like, oh my god, because like, how could you turn that into a joke? Like Wet Leg are a contemporary band of dry cleaning. Well, you'd be like, haha, only joking, you know. Whereas in fact, I just sort of collapsed. And also, that, that the really annoying thing was, I love dry cleaning, I really do, and I was being totally sincere, and I was just like, oh yeah, that yeah, all of that you said before is just going to come off so utterly, utterly insincere, just because. You've called them. You called them wet leg, and it's probably really annoying to get them, you know, oh, mixed up with wet leg. So sorry about that. Dry cleaning. And wet leg are a fabulous band, by the way. Oh, that has to be uh, another of our collective moments. You know, interviewing wet leg at Primavera Sound, where they were being typically wet leg, apparently, because if you've seen other interviews of theirs, like when they were at the Grammys, where they won like four Grammys, uh, when they were meeting the press, they were just as mysterious and sheave patient playful you know they're kind of like they've got the, like they've got an in joke between them yeah 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 and 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 you know they, they they speak really softly and so you can barely hear what they're saying except you know if you've got headphones on and they talk really soft and and well if we if we would we didn't know we'd written a book but if we had written a book, you know, <laughs> you're trying to ask them sort of a, a question to see if they go with the flow and stuff, and they're like making it into their own little thing. And it's totally dry sense of humor, like it, absolutely yes. brilliant. It caught us off guard. Mar was suffering. I remember because I keep I kept elongating the interview, and Mar was like, "Cut this off. They're in no state to give an interview." It's like, no, no, they're in perfect state. They're just they're just trolling us. Well, when we saw like that <laughs> that Grammy interview later, I was like, uh-huh, okay, okay, it's okay. their thing. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I, I'm not sure if you can if you can still listen to our interview. It, it is. It's on it, there. It's out there. Okay, okay. It's on it, no, streaming, streaming platforms. We had them absolutely like turned up their microphones to about like a million. And there's a lot of us going, so, yeah. And it was like, I remember like coming up with my amazing fact that it's like they don't call a chaise long chaise long in French. And like, yeah, yes, we've had that before. <laughs> <laughs> Several <laughs> times. Oh my God! Uh, yes, that's cringe. Cringe, that's cringe. cringe is everywhere. We're all available, able to cringe out, uh, but we're also able to petemho as this wonderful guide, this book written by Xavier Mascravioto, Clara Soler Mañé, Gerard Villadomat Monterde uh, uh, have made, and is available on Penguin. Yeah, yeah, big, big, big book. I was going to say, actually, my my big advice for anyone coming from abroad to the festival is to learn a bit of Catalan. Maybe not that kind of slang, but learn some Catalan. But is this, pe- this isn't Penguin, pen- Penguin Libres, is that the same as Penguin UK? Or is it, I don't is, think is you it a could Spanish? have two books companies called Penguin. There's, no. mass- there's a massive Penguin uh, <laughs> warehouse somewhere just outside of Barcelona when you're kind of driving into Barcelona. What? From certain- yeah, yeah, yeah. Penguin books? Like Penguin? Yeah, I, I guess so. In, yeah. Bas- in Catalonia? Yeah, yeah. But like Amazon, like they've got like uh, warehouses around the world so that they can save up. I don't know if it's a warehouse or if it's an office or, or what, but basically I've seen it. Um, when we come driving in from sort of uh, Tarragona way, there's like this massive, massive warehouse. Wow. Uh, I'm not entirely sure where, but you like, you know, with the classic logo on it and that kind of thing. Or, really? or office or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah, it's quite cool. Well, this one doesn't have the actual penguin. So that's why I'm wondering if it's just like some smart editor, local editor is like, no, no, we're going to call it Penguin Libres. And that way it's, you, you just reg- register it as 
No, it looks Something like penguin. Different. Penguin Yibras is 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 legit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here it is. Here, the the penguin random house at Group. Oh, the, oh, random house and penguin are the same thing. I didn't know this. I think there's been a lot of uh, consolidation. You learn something new every yeah, day. Yeah, everything. Anyway, um, shall we talk about our albums of the week? Yes, because I got a lot to say about one of them in particular. Um, should we have a quick listen uh, first to Hundred Gex Frog on the Floor? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, Ben, what do you like about this album? <laughs> okay, right. You know how the best DJs can make you like music, enjoy music you basically don't like just by context? That must have happened to you, right? You're out sort of dancing in a club yeah. and a DJ plays a song you don't normally like. You're like, yeah. I love this song. I don't yeah. normally, but I love this song just because they've, they've, they've laid the framework, they got it right, and you, and you just really, really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, so that for me is what 100 Gex do on this. They're absolute masters of creating like a musical context, their own like literal, mu- their own musical context in which what they do makes absolutely perfect sense. And I tell you this because the two biggest influences on this album yeah. are types of music I basically don't like. It's because new metal and punk pop from the 90s. I'm, yeah. That... I, I, I was never on those vibes. Me neither. Don't like either of them. All right. I absolutely love this album. And they've kind of, they've managed to create their own world in which, in which I love this kind of thing. Let me let me give you an example, okay? So there is a song called I Got My Tooth Removed, right? <laughs> and it starts off like the sort of worst kind of like whiny, emo, you know, punk. Like, and then it goes like halfway through well not even halfway through after a brief intro it goes into like the jauntiest and generally most awful scar pop punk and then at the end it goes back into the awful 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 like kind of whiny humor and i love it because it's weird it's like it's like you've got the worst excesses of both on either side and like just by putting them together because they with the when they do the really like dreary intro what you're thinking is like i've got you know i've had enough of this dreariness i'd like something like upbeat they're like yeah. oh, the most upbeat thing in the world and then they've had a bit of that and then at the end you're like god i've had a bit too much of this and they kind of like take it down it's a bit like right nobody likes to be too hot unless you've just come in from the cold and if you come from the cold you're like oh i really like being really really hot and vice versa like nobody likes being too cold mm. but like if you're just far too hot it's like a like a like a sauna you know, yeah. like like I would never normally jump in like a really cold pool, but after a sauna you do, and it yeah. kind of works. And that and that's like a, I got my tooth removed is maybe the most extreme example of this. But like to give, they are masters as well at texture. Yeah. So like the uh, there's a song called Doritos and Fritos, right? yeah. which is which is a great pop song, and they've got this like opening riff. And it's like a standard guitar, but they go all weird. Like there's got kind of like different textures and sounds, and it doesn't sound like your standard riff. Uh, Dumbest Girl Alive, same as it. They're doing their like the the massive big metal riff, and yeah. then like for a bar, it breaks off and does it in like the kind of jankiest synth sound possible, which makes it really interesting. Or uh, Billy knows Jamie, which is like, uh. at first, at first, yeah, at first, you're like this is this is Limp Biscuit. It's I, a I, Limp Biscuit song. I cannot I cannot abide. But. What about the end bit where it goes all weird? Let's say Limp Bizkit song for about a minute. And then at the end, it goes like really weird and digital distortion. Like they're really pushing it and it's yeah. like a bit dark metal and it's really deranged. It's really, really fascinating. Yeah, you know? it's like Limp Bizkit becomes glitchy corn, but it's like the fact that they're rapping like Fred Durst. It just sounds like it's Fred Durst rapping on it. And it's like, ugh, I talk about cringe. I can't, it um, makes me wince. 
And Limp Biscuit were a big influence on this album. I was listening to an interview with them yesterday, and they're like, "Yeah, what big influences were? Uh, is it Chocolate Starfish? That that Limp Biscuit album?" And they're like, "Yeah." And they're like, "They're like, we're we're, we're totally sincere." That's what I quite like about them. Maybe a little bit tongue in cheek, but then they're not yeah. like you know doing because they just like it. They generally, genuinely, genuinely. Oh like yeah, it. They, they 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 have they're at the age where they were probably what like young teenagers or even preteens when 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 all that music was big, uh, especially in, the, in California, you couldn't get away from either punk pop or new limp biscuit type of new metal. Uh, it, so it's I think they've done an interesting work, and I like what you say about the textures. Even though the tinny kind of mm, texture on some of the stuff when you listen to it on headphones, I can't listen to that all the time. But, um, I mean, the, the Ska number on Frog on the Floor, which we just heard, I remember, all, you know, another thing which was huge in the 90s was Mighty Mighty Boston's, uh, or, or even No Doubt, you know, Ska Punk was a thing, and uh, they, the, Ska, 100 Gecks don't want us to let us forget that such a terrible part of history happened. Uh, it's incredibly silly, but it is a lot of fun. Because the song is catchy in a bubblegum way. Well, that that's the other thing. Like we were just when we were just listening to Frog on the Floor. Mm-hmm. Now I was like, oh yeah, maybe I do like it. But it, again, you need it within the album where you've got like these really like heavy metal guitars mm. and that kind of thing. You need that minute of of relief or whatever. And they come along with a song that is just ridiculous. It's like samples of uh, frogs croaking, then it goes all scarred. But against you know, if you think uh, the rest of the album. Uh, is is things you know? There's lots of heavy riffs, and it comes right after um, Hollywood Baby, which uh, has you know, as I said, has that that big sort of metal riff, and it, it just works. Also, 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 the most wanted person in the United States is just utterly, utterly ridiculous in a good way. It's got the slang ten rhythm, it's got the horse sample from Insane in the Membrane, and it's got dialogue from Scream. <laughs> What a thing to put together. It's a beautiful thing. I mean, you know, one of the strongest identities of the North American diaspora is the trailer trash rebels, you know, this trashy, unhygienic looking kind of shtick that has permeated a lot of interesting underground culture for decades. You know, from John Walters to Nan Golden's imagery, people who exist on the verge of society and have a sense of humor. Well, 100 Gecks are full of this vibe and they're all over the map of trash. I like it. I I accept it. I want to see this live. Uh, it owes, but it's just as as you. It's, it's, I just have I have to just uh, get over my trauma of um, accepting new metal. But I can't <laughs> I can't stand new metal either. I really can't. Like it's one of my least favorite types of music. And but I just this album just works for me. Yeah. It's bizarre. Yeah. Also, also I really like the way they use their major label budget because they this is their first real major label um, record. And what is the first thing you hear on the record? It's like a like the, what you hear at the cinema, the THX kind of uh, the THX Dolby D- surround. Yeah, Sony is uh, that their label? No, it's a THS, THX Deep Note is what it's called, um, and they sample that. And that's that's being on a major label, and that's like being okay. I'm gonna we're on a major label, so let, let let's, let's use, use it for our advantage. Money. And let's let's sample that. And like, again, in this interview, they're talking about it. And they're like, "Yeah, we got we got the file over, you know, kind of not not someone's recreation of the file. We got the original sound. No no messing around. We got it, you know." Uh, and there are those Star Wars uh, laser sounds. Do you hear those? Seven five seven. Oh, might, that's what it is. I mean, whether they actually sampled that or recreated it, I don't know. But it's certainly like yeah. But you still have to pay Disney. <laughs> Um, and I just love the fact that, like, okay, we're on a major label. It's the first album for a major label. We've got a bit of budget. You know, all right, let's blow it on, getting the THS 
deep note and and let's get the the sort of Star Wars laser sounds. And I can just imagine that if someone's like, yeah, but this is going to cost you hundred thousand dollars, I'm like, fine, you know. Um, and I just really appreciate their devotion to what they do, you know. And they they were like, yeah, we love sampling. It's like, yeah, you do it, you do yeah. it really, really well. They do it really well, really interesting. Yeah, yeah, I'm on board. I'm on board. I'll I'll give it a few more listens. The one that didn't take me and no, no effort whatsoever to enjoy, and I've had it on repeat since it got released, was Praise a Lord Who Choose But Which Does Not Consume or Simply Hot Between Worlds. Bless a pretentious album title. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Remember Fiona Apple's second album from 1999, When the Pawn? It's, it's been abbreviated to When the Pawn, but the actual title was a poem, and it was When the Pawn Hits the Conflicts, he thinks like a king. What he knows throws the blows when he goes to the fight. And he'll win the whole thing for he enters the ring. There's nobody to batter when your mind is your might. So when you go solo, you hold your own hand and remember that depth is the greatest of heights. And if you know where you stand, then you know where to land. And if you fall, it won't matter because you'll know that you're right. That was an album <laughs> title. Why, why did she do She's Fiona Apple, yeah, and it was her second album, you know. And she on her fourth album, she cut it down. Uh, <laughs> it was the idler wheel is wiser than the driver of the screw, and whipping cords will serve you more than ropes will ever do. I mean, it's like okay, it's a long <laughs> album title, but uh, you know, it's it's it can be catchier. <laughs> it was a standard practice for post rock bands. In fact, uh, if your album didn't have a long pretentious phrase as a title, could it even be considered post rock? For instance. Those who tell the truth shall die. Those who tell the truth shall live forever. Second album by Explosions <laughs> in the Sky. Or, well, this one isn't so long now compared to all these yeah, other ones. Yeah, no, no. Lift your skinny fists like antennas to heaven by Godspeed, you black emperor. Uh, the 1975 got into the action with I like it when you sleep for you are so beautiful yet so unaware of it. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Music for kissing audience members. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> Um, so uh, Eve's two more they have released Praise a Lord Who Choose But Which Does Not, con does not Consume in opens brackets or simply Hot Between <coughs> Worlds hmm um, I loved it now I'm glad you loved it because I think we, we're going the opposite ways like I, I loved 100 Gex and you were remained to be convinced anything that, so that has a bass line that sounds like the Cure disintegration era mm, yeah, is totally. like is like yes, yes, yes. It reminds me a lot, a little bit about uh, of Twin Shadow as well, or especially Twin Shadows' Forget album, which uh, which I loved, uh, I still love. Uh, and obviously, Twin, Twin Shadow was said that drew a lot of sounds from The Cure as well. So it has that kind of dark, post-punky kind of um, ambiance, but it also has pop in its uh, in its in its ambition. It's a bit emo. It's got all the teenage angst written by an adult that I've always liked from artists like Robert Smith or, I know you hate him, but Brian Molko from Placebo. Uh, all those kind of dark rockers which which seem to be channeling their teenage lonesome selves in their songs even when they're 50-year-old millionaires. Uh, done wrong, it can be excruciatingly, excruciatingly cringy. Done right, it hits the spot. Uh, the song, for instance, uh, Ecolalia, has this sexy strutting rhythm and whispering vocals that are Super sexy. It's the kind of song I would play while getting dressed to go out and blaze into the night. Petem, petarlo in the in the night, as they would say in yeah. this book. <laughs> yeah, thanks whoever gave us it, but we're using it now. <laughs> uh, but I don't do that anymore. Uh, I don't. I, I did it when I was younger. Anyway, uh, meet ah. There's a song called Meteora Blues, 
And it reminds me slightly of Linkin Park. Uh, in, because Linkin Park had an album called Meteora, and it's not far-fetched to imagine that Eve's Tomorrow was probably into Linkin Park as a young kid. Do you know what that song reminds me of? No. Wonderwall. The, the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh my God, he's gonna, they're, they're going to break out Wonderwall. Yeah, because it's got this acoustic guitar strum thing. So it's interesting because uh, we always thought of Eve's Tomorrow as being kind of, you know, in a similar playlist space as Arca, experimental uh, soundscapes with, you know, with with impassioned vocals and stuff, but they've been going more pop with each album. And every time the algorithm, I don't know, my algorithm or whatever, uh, because of the kind of music I usually play, it always puts Eve's, plays Eve's Tomorrow songs when the playlist goes on to sort of uh, improvise the shuffle, infinite shuffle. And uh, and it's, I always sort of think, oh, who's this? I always stop what I'm doing. It's like, who's this? And it's always Eve's Tomorrow. Now, <laughs> now, now I know who it is and, and, and now I recognize their voice and I'm totally on board and I really want to see what this sounds like live. Have you seen Eve, Eve Tomorrow no, Live? No, no, I missed them the last time they played Primavera. So uh, somebody was talking about this on, on Reddit, uh -huh. uh, and they were saying, uh, they, they were talking about like, Eve Tomorrow playing this year, and they uh, were saying, um, I wonder if they're going to do a similar set to the one in 2018. Mm. And uh, I asked them what exactly was that, and the response was, uh, they played at the warehouse in darkness, and it was basically a proper noise set LMAO. Which, because like I, I have seen Eve Tomorrow Live. I can't remember when it was, and I remember it being totally not what I expected. It mm. was, I think it was like just at the start. Oh, like, I, I'm not sure if I'd heard much Eve Tomorrow at that point, or I. It was just that Eve was signed to Warp, and I was expecting something electronic, or mm. I'm, I'm not sure. But it was like a full-on kind of industrial rock explosion right where I wasn't expecting. It was at Mira Festival, you know, which is normally oh. like electronic music. Yeah. I think it was. Um, yeah. And, you know, so I was expecting sort of electronic... Uh, Atmospheric. Yeah. Uh, and we got this sort of just rock onslaught, which I didn't particularly enjoy, mm. but I liked the fact that this was... Uh, that that was what they did, if you see what I mean. Uh, it was Eve Tomar featuring Ezra Miller. There we go. Toma, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I think they are a really good songwriter as well. On this album, there are actual songs with, with choruses and, and, and hooks. And it's 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 a pop album. It's 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 got, obviously, some elements of experimental electronic and stuff. But really, uh, they could become... Uh, they're on a good they're on a good path they're on a good path to become something bigger the, you know and, and leaving by, behind the experimental glitchy artist kind of thing and all of a sudden becoming like a headlining act uh, and I think they they want to go there because this album is 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 a pop album uh, and it's and it's accessible that's what I mean in, 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 in it being a pop album they're not mucking about so I think they're gonna um, I don't know I think they're going to want to honor this record's vibe and and make it sound as true to the album as possible and maybe obviously incorporate their experimental side of performance ship into it because that's what Eve Tomorrow is, you know, it's an unpredictable kind of performer, but I would like uh, them to deliver um, what I'm listening to on this record. Um, so it's one of those things that sort of you don't want them to deliver what they've done because but you kind of do, if you know what I mean, because mm. it's like, in a way, it's not very, well, what you'd expect, it's almost like you expect the atypical. So if they give you the typical, 
it's like, well, that's typically, you know what I mean? Like yeah. You're kind of, so you, you almost want it to be something totally, totally different, to be totally tying up the, tearing up the rule book. But at the same time, you kind of want it to be like, oh, but actually, I, I like, I like those songs. Yeah. I gotta say, this album, a lot of people really, really loved it. It didn't, didn't blow me away. I'm very glad you, you, you loved it. Um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed lots of moments. I thought Ebony Eye was, was really good. Um, but, um, it's, it's funny, like, I, I think it, for me, it did occupy a bit of that placebo space, yeah. which are, <laughs> which you, you love and I, I don't don't necessarily love all that much. It's almost like a genre in itself. You know, again, it's a playlist that has to have a, uh, a name like um, uh, mus- muscular hands with painted nails or... <laughs> The playlist, <laughs> or 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 eyeline, um, um, b- blurry eyes with eyeline teardrops, uh, black eyeline teardrops. The playlist, you know, it's like I guess queer rock would also be a bit more reductive, but there's a space where placebo, even more, um, uh, even marilyn manson i guess could be put in there some of their earlier uh, cuts and stuff uh it's it, i don't know it's just this kind of it's just got this darkness to it but it's pop at the same time there's balladry in there i like it i'm all i'm on board and i'm i, I really want to see them up close and personal if two more it's great we're gonna see them at primavera i can't believe it well and at ciudad no and at the city they're going to be playing in, in Barcelona's case in Razmataz a great place to see them up close uh, is, that, is that confirmed? You... I, saw, uh, it, I saw it on their website ah, on nice. tomorrow's website or their their touring schedule yeah it says yeah, Bertodo here they're doing Coachella as well Coachella uh, here we are uh, no, no, no. Ooh, they've got a hell of a tour ahead of this album uh, to present uh, to perform it all over the world and uh, Ciudad del Rock, Madrid. Where's Barcelona? Maybe we dreamt it. Maybe it was just a beautiful dream. Or maybe it shouldn't have been announced uh, or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, sometimes they get into a bit of trouble. But hang on. Why is... They, they, it's got Bar- Primavera Sound, Madrid, 8th of June. What about... But it hasn't got the, the Barcelona listings. Now I'm getting nervous. Why? <laughs> maybe they haven't updated... Uh, oh yes, Barcelona here. Uh, if for some reason it's separate, but it only says the one at the Parc del Forum. It doesn't say the city one because it's, it's only just been because it's going to be even better. It's going to be even better. Uh, maybe. That's going to be amazing. Let's listen to a little bit of East to More. Um, Rob Roman, you are the talking radio producer who's having a. T- <laughs> Let's listen to a little bit of East to More <laughs> while we prepare the next segment. This is the album closer. I mean, to close with these violins, it, it closes off with like a banger as well. It's one of the standout tracks, Ebony Eye. Yes. That's really, it reminds me of uh, the kind of thing you would put on. Well, it reminds me of two things. Firstly, like the kind of thing you would put on if you had a basketball team, right? Yeah. And you'd be like, yeah. you'd be running out of that music, you'd be like, da, 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 and you'd be like, yes, we're already like, come on, Villa de Cantz, yeah. B or whatever. We're going we're gonna to have you, you know. Oh, and a little bit Kasabian. Ooh, no, I didn't like that reference. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah All right, yeah, we'll keep with yeah. the basketball. Villa yeah, 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 but, Okay, yeah. one Kasabian for one placebo. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, no, I'm no fan of Kasabian either. But, uh, uh, just to, uh, no, they had there. They had a few good. They have a good, a few good songs. Uh, it's just that lead singer. Anyway, uh, <laughs> oh god, oh no, god. Let's not go down there. Anyway, speaking of '90s revivals, uh, Eve's Tomorrow bringing back some of the darker rock from the '90s and 
and obviously mm, a lot of the cure and that kind of post-punk. And uh, then you've got 100 Gex bringing back new metal and and post and uh, punk pop. Well, I recently watched a movie that kind of rehashes or recycles its legacy from uh, it's a, it's a it's the third part of a movie that was made in the 90s and became a cultural phenomenon in American independent cinema. I'm speaking of Clerks 3, directed by Kevin Smith, a man who really knows how to milk his own legacy. I mean, if you look at his filmography, it's quite it's quite weird because he has made he still keeps on making like very interesting quirky comedies, even sort of uh, thrillers, even horror f- films. I mean, I don't know if you saw a movie called Tusk. This was a very strange movie that caught no, me totally off guard. I didn't even know it was by him. Uh, I started watching it and I was like, what is this? This movie is demented. This, it's amazing. It's, and all of a sudden directed by Kevin Smith. It's like, wow, you pull this off at this stage in your career. Very good, Kevin Smith. And then he's got a movie called Red State about these uh, religious fanatics uh and and it's and and they're they're very quirky and they're and and Kevin Smith has always been known for having for writing very uh funny dialogue that always has lots of pop cultural references but what he's also known for is just milking some of his beloved characters that featured in the movie Clark Clerks or Clarks uh, as you would say in Britain Clerks uh, just to, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it was a movie shot on a shoestring budget. It took place in a convenience store. It was shot in black and white. And uh, it was the story of these uh, these clerks. Sorry, I was about to say, that's that's the Generation X thing I was looking for, isn't it? That, I mean, it it's like one of the most Gen Generation X. X films you can imagine. Forget, forget. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, it put Kevin Smith on the, on the sort of sitting, he, he sat at the table with Quentin Tarantino, Richard Linklater and all those indie, indie movie auteurs who started like packing in big audiences in the cinemas in the 90s. And they were all kind of signed on by Miramax and, and the rest is history. And they won Oscars and they were nominated and stuff. In Kevin Smith's case, uh, he started to, he, he became a hot ticket and he started becoming quite a person within Hollywood, but also managing to remain an independent filmmaker, but working with studios, uh, getting distribution from people like Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> you know, well, <laughs> there's always a bit of uh, a little bit of a stain on on the st- on the spot on the on the ways to success, shall we say? Hey, uh, but anyway, uh, Clerks, a very beloved movie. Some say it hasn't aged that well. I look at it. I watched it not so long ago. It it's still it's still charming. It still has its charms. It's very amateurish. The fact that all the cast were non-professional actors, they were his friends. And it's like, yeah, he gave them dialogue and he made them learn it. And that was part of the allure. So then he made Clarks 2 with a few more, you know, Rosario Dawson was in it. You know, he had professional actors along with the beloved uh, non-professional actors from Clerks. Uh, and uh, yeah, it had its, it, you know, it had it Kevin Smith all over it. You know, you, you watch it, if you're a fan of that part of Kevin Smith, you enjoy it and just don't give, don't, you know, it's a Sunday movie. But now he's come with Clerks 3 and uh, it's basically the same characters from the original movie. And uh, it's, it's a pure nostalgia fest. This movie, I think it's on, only people who enjoyed Clerks 1 can enjoy it. Uh, it because they're amateur, you know, they're not. A lot of them aren't real actors, and they're trying to act well now because they're all in their fifties. And you know, even Brian O'Halloran, who plays Dante, you know, he's got he get he gets some teary scenes. And Kevin Smith is known for, 
you know, he can become so cheesy and corny when he when he puts sentimentality into his scripts, like he's done on films like Chasing Amy. Uh, it's just it's it's cringe. This is you know now we're talking cringe is all another cringe of the week. It's like Kevin Smith when he gets sentimental in his scripts is pure cringe. Brian O'Hanlon Halloran doing a very good job as an actor, but it but he puts so much into it and he and he and he cries for real on camera and it's like I don't know if I I, I, I don't know I, I cringe I cringe watching it but but at the same time I cry a little bit because it's like damn I'm really feeling it but at the same time it's like this is kind of shoehorned in here he shoehorns these scenes in where all of a sudden you go from the really stupid kind of funny dialogue. And all of a sudden there's like a, okay, I'm going to put a sentimental scene. It's like, you haven't even built towards it. You're like, you're almost in a sitcom. You know how in those 90s sitcoms like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or ALF or when there'd be a serious moment when the the kid is bullied at school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. they try and make a serious thing about, a co serious comment about how bullying is not cool and they'll, they'll, they'll change the tone. And it's like, come on, this is a family sitcom. Where are the ha-ha-ha-has? And, and all of a sudden, oh, you're trying to get all real on us now or on Saved by the Bell when Jesse gets hooked on, uh, on, on, on sleeping pills. I'm sorry. In Saved by the Bell, there, there was one of the most iconic scenes where Jesse, played by Elizabeth Berkley, she has, she's, do, you know, she's, she's, she's trying to outperform in her academics studies but she's also in a school play and she has to sing and she's she can't do it all so she starts taking uh pills to <laughs> to either sleeping pills to be able to no or energy pills whatever and she gets hooked on them so it, the episode is all about addiction uh and uh and and there's a famous moment where she's like i'm so excited i'm so and that's all we have time for, Ben. My God. <laughs> and uh, shout out to Elizabeth Berkeley who like responded to me on Instagram. And uh, watch Clark's 3. It's actually a very decent movie, even if you're another fan of Kevin Smith. Uh, thank you for listening. <laughs> we are Generation X. We're not boomers. We're not millennials. We're something better in between. We're the, we're the filling between the two uh, dry buns. 